The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod, proudly brought to you by the SJP World Media Network. I am Sai, and joining me as always is our good friend, Mr. Dan Griffin. Happy New Year, Dan! <laughs> that confused the hell out of me for just a second. <laughs> what the fuck is he on about? It's June. But yes, Happy New Year. I've, 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 I've remembered what we're watching, which is great, considering I finished watching it for the second time about 20 minutes ago. Okay. Um, this this is going swimmingly. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, obviously you say it's June, but uh, we are covering the New Year's special from well last year, the first of January, twenty twenty two, Eve of the Daleks, a Jodie Whittaker story, and one that features time loops and the sort of repetitiveness of time travel and so on, which I always get a massive kick out of. Yep, same here. And I was trying to think before of other time loop tropes in, in sci-fi, and I can't name a single one, but I know I've seen them, and I know I enjoy them. Yeah, I'm the same. I can't think of one either, but it is good. <laughs> we're great. We're great. We're, we're so professional. We're so professional. Yes, Eve of the <laughs> Daleks, a, a New Year's special, which was... This wasn't the first one, was it, that was New Year's? Because we had that before. But it kind of replaced the Christmas specials that we became used to in New Who. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And kind of ruined my Christmas day, really. Because it became a tradition of, you know, I'd sit down with my old man, with my brother, whoever happened to be about, and we'd sit down and watch Doctor Who. You know, Christmas day night, full of food, probably a bit pissed, and just enjoy it. But, you know, they've robbed me of that. Yeah, see, it was weird for me because the Christmas specials, they'd normally be on about seven o'clock, something like that, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah, and so we tend to be over my mum's at that time on Christmas Day. So there's my parents, me, my wife, and my kids, my sister, her husband, and their kids, and then my brother, his wife, and their kids. So it's manic as anything. My nan gets brought over by my uncle and so on, so it's a really crazy busy time. The TV's on, but we never get to actually watch or listen to anything that's on the TV because there's so many people there, so so much going yeah. on. So even though I was annoyed that we don't get Christmas specials anymore, when I look back, I actually didn't ever really watch them on Christmas Day anyway. I'd record them at home <laughs> and watch them the following day or the day after, maybe. Yeah, that's fair enough. It all depends on what your Christmas tradition is. You know, um, as years have gone on, we always had my grandparents round... And then in later years, it's become, you know, my brother will bring, bring his in the morning, my granddad for, for dinner. But generally speaking, everybody's sort of done and dusted by like five o'clock. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's a funny one. Like Mixing it up, and we, you know, during the Tenant era, we got the his sort of four specials where one of them was at Easter, which was quite nice in the absence of a full series. But it's, there's no harm in mixing it up. And I quite like that it was themed as well. 
Yes. And that they tied it all into events and, and how to, and just sort of made it made, made, made it make sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, themed for New Year it is, literally with the striking of midnight, a big part of this story. Uh, we, like I said, it's it's New Year's Eve, and we originally, when the program starts, we see a storage facility, and it's entitled Elf Storage, which is Christmassy, I suppose. And we have the comedian, uh, I always butcher her first name, so I apologise hugely to anyone listening to the show. Is it Ainsley B.? Ashling. Ashling, right, okay. Yes. Ashling, so Ashling B, yeah. So, first attempt. Ainsley. Uh, <laughs> fucking oh, I've got fucking Ainsley Harriet turning up. Yeah, we have Ainsley Harriet turning up, ready to make a sandwich for the Daleks. No. Um, <laughs> and uh, she is... Just give me a good old rub. Yes, there we go. <laughs> she is turning up for work, very cross, because she has to work New Year's Eve, and it seems that it's a regular occurrence, because she's leaving a voicemail for the person that she she employs to work that particular shift, and she has to cover it, because they phoned in sick again, or let her down again. And again, she, it seems like a regular occurrence. She's very cross about it. Her phone is going crazy, because it's 10 minutes to midnight, and... A customer arrives by the name of Nick. Now, before we dive into what goes on, Dan, I want to sort of pick your brains a little bit on what you you think of these two characters here, because they're we see this a lot in in, in Doctor Who, classic and New Who, where wherever the Doctor goes, there's obviously, I suppose, in a way, you'd word them back background characters, maybe, but that you know they're big prominent parts of the story because you can't have just the Doctor and the companions and the bad guys. Obviously, he's you know the Doctor, he or she is in a different uh time and setting each story so you have these characters that become big parts of the tale some work some don't some of the actors work some don't and especially in new who we tend to find that we're getting people from i suppose different aspects of entertainment trying their hand at acting in doctor who and we have it with john bishop here as well who obviously primarily is a comedian uh, what are your thoughts on the the two characters and the two actors portraying uh, Nick and Sarah? Well, I like Ashlyn B anyway uh, because I saw her as an actor before I saw her as a comedian. Oh, okay. uh, she was in she was in a sitcom called Trolleyed, which was centered around a supermarket. And at the time that aired, yeah. I was working retail, and it is so bloody accurate. <laughs> <laughs> just okay. in some of the bullshit that goes on and some of the mad you know just some of the mad crap that that goes on in, in sort of that place of work and she was in that she played the sort of naive useless boss's daughter if any, essentially who's been like nepotismed into a role and, and just people just struggle to get her to do basic tasks um she was great in that she actually she uh, played alongside um oh, what was his name who played danny pink Oh, I, I don't know his name. I just know him as Danny Pink. Yeah, uh, he was in it as well in the latest series. So okay. yeah, I'd, I'd seen Ashlyn B anyway. Um, and yeah, big fan. I know she can act. And in this one, she's they managed to put across a very sort of I don't want to say deep, but definitely multifaceted character in in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And because she's obviously a bit downtrodden, hates a job frustrated at every single thing going on you know a job shit she hates running the, the business but she's trapped into it it's failing and she can't save it her mum her mum's obviously pissing her off but 
I don't, she doesn't come across as like a naturally nasty person, but she has got a bit of bite to her as well. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, there are aspects of her character that make me think that she's not very well liked as well. Oh, highly strung. Okay. Yeah. That, that's yeah. the way, I think that's the way to put it. When we, when we see her, she's quite highly strung. There's a lot going on, even down to being like going over the top and, and getting angry at a phone. But I think it's because everything else in a in a life is just designed to piss her off. It feels like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I get the impression that she lashes out as well. Maybe she she can be quite mean, whether it's intentional or a, a, a defense mechanism or whatever. I don't know. But I get the impression that she can be a bit mean and a bit cruel with the way she lashes. I mean, we see it with Nick early on, mm. and we also see it. Well, stuff she says throughout the episode. For example, there's one occasion where she's talking to her mum on the phone and says that she hasn't spoken to her since August. And obviously this is mm. now you know, December 31st. So that's one aspect of that. And then there's also the line that she says at one point with regards to being saved from, from being killed, somebody running to help her. And she says that there's many family members and supposed close friends who wouldn't do that. Mm. So I kind of get the impression that... Maybe she is a bit lonely, but also she's a bit lonely through her own making by the way she treats other people. It's kind of how I picked it up anyway. Yeah, I, I never thought of it like that, but I think you're right. Um, but I think it, some of that may come because she she seems to in this to be, you know, quite sarcastic Yes, as well. You know, when Nick is... He strikes me sort of the lovable loser type, but also, like, well, as they call him in the show, a, a good-hearted weirdo, um, <laughs> you know. Um, and the kind of kind of oil and water personalities to start off with. Yeah. So it's they, they do a lot with these two characters in within you know fifty-eight minutes to sort of establish them and establish them, and they get these sort of quite quick character arcs, but. It's. I think it's ultimately one is what the other needed to bring the best out of themselves. Yeah, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah, no, I can see that. I can see that. Uh, I I love uh, Ashling B. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Near, I love Ashling. Near enough. Yeah, I I I'd seen her on a do, do a bit of stand up, and on Mop the Week, I saw her a great deal as well. And I've always found her just so, so funny. I think she's brilliant. And I've, I've seen her in Trollid, and there was another sitcom she was in as well, where I think she was the main character. She might have written it, um, and she was brilliant in that as well. So big fan of hers, and her character in this, I think, like you said, has got different layers to it, which is quite difficult to do, I think, in a, a one-off appearance. You know, it can be... Uh, characters with, you know, that, that are kind of straightforward in like in a 45 minute or an hour long one-off episode mm. can work perfectly well because it's a short period of time and we go back to the uh, her name escapes me i apologize but we go back to the character in the two-parter of eccleston that we covered with the gas masks that you dislike so much and nancy that's it nancy and her character is relatively straightforward and her mm. aim and her targets in life, again, are relatively straightforward. But she is bloody brilliant in that role. Whereas here, I think we get a little bit more, I don't know, more background, more layers to both of these characters, I think. Yeah, and it's uh, particularly for, for Ashlyn B, for Sarah, 
so much of it is through her conversations with her mum. Yeah. And also her reaction to sorry, you might hear some noise in the background. I'm recording in my recording in my bedroom today, which is even hotter than the front room where I normally record. So the window is open and I can hear a train. <laughs> so or, or a bird or something. So yeah. Um be her through conversations with her mother and then the way she reacts to to Nick essentially making the hero sacrifice in one of the loops you know like you said you know not many people do that for it and you do wonder how much of it is her own doing and how much of it's just having a bit of a shit family yeah yeah that's a fair point that's a fair point um with regards to nick then i think that come the end of the episode we have i suppose a little bit of a conclusion to this character and, and our mind is made up a little bit more as to how he is. And it, we do have that lovable loser aspect that you described, but also I think you can look at it a completely different way and just mm. think that he, I know they say good hearted weirdo, but he is a weirdo, isn't he? Let's be straight up on this now. <laughs> this, this dude is, this dude is odd. You know, he's turning up at, on, New Year's Eve to the storage facility to get access to his unit and initially we get the impression that he's doing this to put stuff away from ex-girlfriends of his in case they ever want it back and he's got this big storage unit with numerous shelves and they're all labelled with the name of the girl he was seeing and also the dates that he was seeing them for regardless of whether it was a bit more long-term, a couple of months or whatever. Or a that, couple of days, he says. Yeah, that's not, that. that's weird behaviour. And my mind, instantly, the very first time I watched this, and it didn't change when I watched it back for the recording today, my mind instantly went to, huh, serial killer, because they keep trophies, those are his trophies, those girls are all in a ditch. That's just where yeah. my mind went. And, well, that's where the the other characters' minds go as well when they're trapped in the unit in one of the loops. Mm. You know, just saying, and, and, he's, and he, Yaz outright asks him, are they all still alive? Yes. <laughs> and and every, there's that collective sigh of relief when he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah, it is weird. He's just got his weird shag catalogue. Mm. Um, just sort of sat there. And, it, it, and then it's kind of like, it makes one of uh, Sarah's outbursts, like, just right where she's like, just learn to throw stuff away. You know, nobody, yeah. and, and you see, you see, like, it goes back to like 2016. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, this is it's, it's 2022. It goes back to 2016, you say. It's a big storage unit with lots of shells and loads of gear. I mean, he may be a weirdo, but Nick's a player, mind. He does well for himself. <laughs> Nick's got game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's done all right, hasn't he? For, for a self-confessed sort of shy dude who, who goes back, you know, go, who t- turns up at midnight on New Year's Eve just because he's got a crush on the woman who runs the self-storage thing. Yeah. Which again, but, that, but again, the, the, the sort of the show both points of view on that because Ashton Pierce just say like, "Oh my God, you stalker weirdo." Yeah, and he's kind of just like I prefer to think of it as unrequited or shy, because <laughs> you know, and you know, they both sort of admit that he wasn't harassing her or anything like that. It's just that he'd turn up, yeah, and yeah. do the do the and get access to the thing that he pays for. Yeah, but again, though, I mean, I get. I suppose you can understand 
in a way, just before midnight, start of the new year, everyone's talking about out with the old, in with the new, and all that sort of stuff. So latest victim. Yeah, latest victim. Yeah, hide <laughs> hide the trophy and all this sort of stuff. So I can appreciate it. And I know he says later on that he does this at this time every year because he knows that's when she will be there. Because Jeff, who is the guy who is spoken about a great deal in this story, but we never actually meet, as far as I can tell, unless he's the dude right at the end of the camera. I kind of hope he is. No, no he's not. But I know he's not, but I wish he was. Um, <laughs> it. He knows that Jeff's always going to let her down on New Year's, so that's why he does this. But you mentioned there about Sarah's rants towards Nick. One where he's a bit, she's a bit mean and and tells him just throw stuff away. And I'm in this situation because you turn up here at the same time every year and all that sort of stuff. Everyone else is there going, whoa, that's a bit mean. He's right there. That's a bit harsh. I'm thinking, no, it ain't. She is spot on the money. Yeah, <laughs> this is the thing. She goes off on these mad rants that come across as mean. But yeah. Everything everything that Sarah says when she's looking to blame people or save her own skin ahead of everybody else or anything like that, if you are dumped into that situation as just a random person and you're not used to you know, travelling with a doctor, you're going to go off. Mm. You're not just going to roll with a punch and be like, yeah, fine. You're going to freak out because there's a killer robot rocking around and you keep dying and coming back to life. Yeah. Yes, very true, very true. And speaking of the killer robots, it's a Daleks episode. Now, yeah. we've seen, obviously, being Doctor Who fans who do a podcast about Doctor Who, we've seen a lot of different Daleks from different time periods. I don't just mean time periods as in space and time travel, we would beat people and all that. I mean, different time periods as in over the course of the last 60 years of the programme being in existence. How do you feel about this version of the Daleks? Because I feel that with the Daleks, sometimes in New Who, I think they've been overused hmm. and almost watered down at times. Now, each version of the Daleks, in New Who especially, there's little tweaks to them. And sometimes it's just like outright complete redesign. But you also get those moments where Dalek behaviour does kind of alter a little bit from story to story, writer to writer, to suit the tale they're in. Mm. What did you think about this design of the Dalek and how these Daleks were acting in general across the story? So my opinion on the on the looks of it, initially I thought, oh, wow, that's cool. It's got a Gatling gun. You know, bigger gun, scarier Dalek. Yep. And then I was like, yeah, but it's kind of... It's not the traditional one. I was a little bit... Yeah until I did a bit of background reading and found out that this is an executioner Dalek. So it's a different um, sort of classification than your bog standard. Okay. So, there, so therefore the weapon made sense. Now you shouldn't have to do that. It's one of the, it's one of the reasons why as a wrestling fan that I fell out with dynamite quite early on. that used to annoy me on there because they used to reference stuff that happened on being the elite and, and, Mm. you know whatever and you, you essentially had to do homework yeah i was very you lucky to, you know that. watching yeah i was very lucky with that because charlie used to watch everything so and i'd only watch dynamite so if there's something i didn't understand i'd literally just pause the program and ask her so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah you know I, I did like it you know the gatling gun was good the dalek behavior was interesting because it followed directly on from the flux 
Mm-hmm. And I've only watched the, I've only watched the flux once. I can't really remember a lot of it. So I'd forgotten that the Daleks, uh, the Dalek war fleet was destroyed by the flux. So now they're saying, well, this was the doctor's fault. Let's go kill the doctor. Right. Let's take advantage of this time loop and try and get one step ahead. To me, it, it was all pretty Dalek. It was all pretty spot on. Um, okay. It wasn't it wasn't anything that jumped out to me to be too sort of aberrant in the behaviour. The only, well, I suppose the only one thing is uh, was when Nick ducked and the two of yeah. them took uh, took each other out. That was a fun moment and looked cool. But you'd think that Daleks would be resistant to their own weapons. Mm. Or even just a little bit smarter to not be outwitted by somebody ducking. Yeah. These yeah. killing machines and so on, do you know what I mean? But I did love it when he when he just ducked and they killed each other and then he just pops up and he's banging yeah. on about oh, you can't kill a raster. <laughs> yeah, despite the fact they've killed him like five times already or whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah, but it was you know, it was it was a good moment for Nick. It gave him some confidence and it proved that he's not a total you know, he's not a Rory. Um Prove that he could, you know, he can think on his feet and, and do something once he's got over the fact that he's died five times. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair shame. My main issue with the Daleks in this story, and it's it's a tiny, it's a tiny thing. It, it's not, it doesn't ruin it for me or anything like that. But it just, it doesn't sit a hundred percent right, shall we say? Mm. Is that they're almost, they're almost. I suppose the term is boastful. In a way, oh, we go back to Dalek, the actual story Dalek with with, with Eccleston, and the Dalek mm. would have conversations with Eccleston, and the, the the one that stands out is when he tells the Doctor that he would make a good Dalek. That I thought was done really, really well, and certain things that Dalek would say came across. I don't, not more human because that's not accurate, but more able to converse rather than just be this killing mm. machine with with one one thread of uh anger or violence or motivation and so on and just following orders and all, all that sort of stuff it had a bit more to it yeah. this feels like they've took that and tried to turn it up a bit when you hear the daleks throughout this story saying uh daleks are never sorry dalek you know our plan mm. will, you know the, the stuff saying we will reign supreme and we are the superior beings and all that sort of stuff that's standard dalek that's happened since the 60s completely on board with that love all that sort of stuff you know crack on dalek lads you're doing well you know <laughs> but <laughs> but when they start saying daleks are never sorry and it, stuff like that that they respond to the people that they're about to exterminate you know and it happens a lot throughout this story with different you know different conversations different comments and so on and the daleks respond that was almost I don't know how to explain it. Almost like it, they, almost too familiar in a way. You found whereas, it too. Conver- you found it too conversational. Yeah, whereas to me, it, I liken a lot of Bond. Uh, sorry, a lot of Doctor Who to certain aspects of James Bond when it gets a bit silly and a bit tongue in cheek. Mm. The bad guys in Bond can be quite stylish and have little one liners and so on, and that can work with certain bad guys in Who, for example, the Master, especially in New Who. They put it mm. off fantastically well with all the incarnations of the, of the Master. To me, the Daleks should be cold and, you know, just killing machines. 
So when somebody says, well, when the doctor says, oh, you'll be sorry, a Dalek shouldn't, to me, respond, Daleks are never sorry. They should just exterminate them and be done with it. But again, it's such a tiny little thing. It's not a massive deal. See, it just felt a little bit out the, of place the, for me. Yeah. See, the read I had on that is that the Daleks are taking it completely literally. So when the Doctor says, you'll answer for that, the Dalek is just pointing out that Daleks answer to no one because they're the superior life form. Yeah, and okay. It, then when they say, you know, you'll be sorry, it's like, well, it's effectively the Daleks say, well, no, it works. We don't have emotions. Daleks are no, okay. sorry. Th- those aspects it's, I just get. But it's, it's, it's more for a correct example, There's one moment Are where, you thinking about the stuff, like the stuff with Dan? Oh, that's exactly what I was going to bring up now, yeah. Dan, Dan just tries to, at one point in the story, Dan tries to distract the Dalek with a box and he's telling the Dalek, he's acting like the Dalek works there. And he's saying, you know, um, is this some kind of weird automated assistant? Uh, <laughs> your, your, your customer service isn't very good. Your voice is a bit grating for this role. And, oh, I, I might see your manager. And the Dalek says, Daleks don't have managers. And, you know, it interacts with that. It's, it's those kind of things where the Daleks are interacting more with their victims their prey their targets however you you want to word it sometimes it worked okay other times it went a bit too far for me maybe if say for example in the episode i don't know how many times it was but just say for argument's sake in the episode the daleks did this 10 times if they did it five i probably wouldn't even notice Hmm. maybe it was just a little bit too much for me i don't know less is more yeah 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 potentially the thing is as well the, it wasn't the 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 in the voice interaction that got me with that bit with with Dan and and you know just and taking the piss. I thought that was pretty funny, just on a on a surface level. Yeah, yeah. Um, the bit that got me is all he had to do to avoid getting exterminated was just move to his left. Yeah, that was bollocks, wasn't it? Just move to his left, and the Dalek is trying to follow him. Guns going off, and that was it. But I think. Sort of, I've just realised now tying those tying two incidents in my head together. That one with Dan, where he's just moving left, and with Nick ducking, both of which we've said are kind of there because the plot needed it. Mm. Is it the case with these Daleks that once they fire that gun, it stays fired? Yeah. Okay. Potentially. You're also then, adding to that. You think there's a more than one occasion. The one with Sarah really stands out when I don't know if she is she running from a door across a build across the ring or is she running from the lift? She's running somewhere anyway. And yeah. the Dalek is shooting again and again and again. And there's another instance actually when they're uh, they're all together and they're running down the corridor just before they go into uh Nick's, you know, collection of murder trophies in his storage facility. <laughs> they they're running and it's a straight fucking corridor. That's only mm. what eight foot, ten foot wide max, and yeah. there's five targets. The Doctor Daniels, yeah, five targets. The, and it's a straight line, and the Dalek can't hit them. It, it's a little bit okay. You're supposed to be the ultimate killing machine, and you haven't even hit one of these people. It's the Star Wars problem where the stormtroopers are supposed to be the elite fighting force, and and the guardians of the Empire, and all that, and and the the bringers of law and order and not one of them can shoot for shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, though, you go back to classic who uh, we've seen, uh, what did we review from Harlow? Daleks invasion of earth? Wasn't it? Uh, yes. Yes. 
Okay, and so so that's you know what you have seen for the show, and I've seen you know majority of classic Who, if, even if I can't remember it. I don't remember <laughs> the Daleks in the sixties and then going into the seventies being that inaccurate. I seem to remember, especially in the black and white era, if the Daleks if the Daleks fired their guns, they killed the person in front of them. Yeah, but in but the black the, and white era, in the black and white era, they could also be neutralised by pushing them off a ramp. Well, this is true. This is true. But then, as we so get you into, know, it's, it's give and take. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. As we get into then, say, I suppose Davidson era, I can remember him running down a corridor and a Dalek shooting a couple of uh, I don't know, laser beams off and not hitting him. But then we get into McCoy mm. and McCoy's time. There's a story of the Daleks there, and we get the same similar sort of thing, but not to the level we see on this episode where they're shooting and missing ace a great deal. Do you just think they're getting shitter as time goes on? Do they need to go back to like Dalek training school and, and, you know, target practice or something? Oh, the Daleks have been around for so long and the doctor's seen them so many times. The doctor figures out their attack patterns. Yeah. And he's able to better dodge. Yeah, but that's where the whole idea about the Gatling gun comes in. Because if you ever see, you know, Gatling gun, you fire it in one direction, it's staying fired, and it's a it's a bugger to try and move. So maybe that's just it with the Dalek. Mm. It's just wild yeah. and designed to try and hit everything at once. Or it's again just the fact that the plot needed it. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. Look at you explaining away all the issues I have again. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's a nice little uh, nice little throwback in it. It is. It is. <laughs> um. The whole thing is is kicking off. I'm not, but we're half an hour in, and we're just talking in general. So I'm assuming we're going to jump around a little bit throughout the episode, as opposed yeah, well, to. Well, I was, I was, I was just going to, I was just going to go back to sort of the basis of the episode, really, just yes. to give us a little bit of background, and then because some of the earlier loops can effectively be be summed up by how quickly they die. Um, you know, we've already established that we're at the cell storage facility. Um, Nick's prolonged the conversation with Sarah and asking, you know, what the hazard, what what you're not allowed to store, which is blatantly because he's just after some sort of human interaction. Mm, the old um, Manchester Ripper. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he's done the crappy see you next year joke and, and she's, you know, says, oh, were you practising that? And he's like, oh, I was actually. So, you know, we've yeah. got kind of got this socially awkward murderer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which comes back to the point as well. It's a little bit of a contradiction, I suppose. You look at how many murder trophies Nick has, and then how awkwardly he interacts with Sarah, who he obviously likes. How has he managed to pull that many if he can't talk to a girl properly? Well, that's the uh, that's the major plot hole in this, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> And we've and the crucial element we've not spoke about yet as well is, uh, is Sarah's phone's broken, so you can constantly hear her notifications. Um, but the Doctor Yaz and Dana in the TARDIS and they're putting it essentially essentially through a, a hard reset, so to yeah. get rid of the the flux debris and and all the doors that were throughout that mini series and all of that, and they're supposed to be going to the beach where they can play chess with the fish, drink mocktails with the lobsters. Um, they've got seven seconds to get out. Otherwise, they'll die if they stay in the TARDIS as it's going through. And I loved the shot as they were sort of slow-mo running and you could see the TARDIS shifting and changing. Mm. And they come out, the cloister bell rings, and there's cracks in the surface of the TARDIS. That looked amazing, didn't it? It looked fantastic. It put me in mind of when the TARDIS exploded in Smith's era. 
Detroit. Yeah. Uh, which I really liked. And, you know, they're in Manchester on New Year's Eve, nine minutes to midnight. Um, you know, the, the rejected title for the Iron Maiden song. Um, <laughs> you know, they'll go to find a party somewhere, but there's a temporal disturbance above. And what I loved is John Bishop is obviously a scouser and he's particularly annoyed that he's in Manchester. Yeah, what a knobhead. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I never got... And it's, not, it's not a Danny Pink issue for me. Or even a Rory issue for me. But I never fully got on board with the character of Dan. I just never... To me, Dan... I think we said it before when we've covered him. Dan, to me, is John Bishop in Doctor Who. It's not Dan. Yeah. In the same way that Ashling B is playing a character and does well at it, this this is the opposite for me with Dan and John Bishop. I think it, John Bishop's thing is... He wasn't there long enough to have a major impact on Doctor Who as a whole. Mm. But they had to try and make it as though he was. Yeah, okay. If that makes sense. Essentially, they had six... I think they had eight or nine episodes to to get him there. They had to put a whole thing in where he ended up travelling with Yaz for like four years to try and save the Doctor during the flux. So then that explains why they're all of a sudden best mates, you know. Mm. It was all very rushed. Yeah. I think that's it. I don't think he was a particularly bad companion, but I don't don't think he was a particularly good one. His, his yeah. only crime is being a bit mediocre. He has his odd funny moments, which you hope for a comedian. But, you know, he's not exactly Bradley Walsh. No, no. Uh, that's, uh, there you go. Bradley Walsh, there's, there's massive aspects of the Bradley Walsh you see on, on other things, on game shows and other, other acting roles. But yet, Bradley Walsh is, is Graham. It's not just Bradley Walsh in Doctor Who. Whereas that's my complaint with John Bishop. It's John Bishop in Doctor Who, not a character called Dan, if that makes sense. But Bradley Walsh got probably three times the episodes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair point. So I think it's more of a time thing. I think the character Dan could have done something. And I'm not just saying that because we share a name in a football team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just this opening bit, like I say, they do a lot because Sarah's, you, you know all about Sarah. As soon as she walks in the door, leaving a voicemail for Jeff, just absolutely cursing him out because he's let her down again. Mm. And then she's having, you know, outright saying she has to work in, a, in an industry she hates on New Year's Eve when she had plans. So she does have friends somewhere. Or she was going to be seeing somebody. And then, you know, Nick's there just doing his creepy, creepy thing. Mm, yes. And it is a good setup. And we go into the first loop. It's... It was a real. I thought it was just a, re- a really good opening because they, you know, it's just you've got all this going off. They had all this very sort of human drama, a little bit of sci-fi, and then bang, Dalek. Yeah, it just appears in the corridor, doesn't it? You turn around, and, oh, there it is. It's like, well, if you didn't know the Daleks were going to be in this story, which obviously yeah. we did because the adverts and so on, but if we didn't know the Daleks were going to be in this story, that would have been such a great little surprise, wouldn't it? Yeah, and straight off first thing. Doctor's using the sonic to jam the weapons. The Dalek says it's not working. Daleks learn. Mm. Deactivates, deactivates the sonic and kills them all. So all five characters we've seen so far in this episode have been exterminated and then the opening credits roll. Yes. Yeah, and, and when the credits finish, we get that 
brilliant I, I think this is so well done because it's it's quite understated in a way in the way it's well, i don't know whether it's literally just the way it's been written or or by the performances of the actors but we get that dramatic reveal of the daleks every fucker has been exterminated including the doctor music hits music finishes and you're just in this dingy reception again looking at the monopoly board mm. that nick's bringing in and they're kind of like okay yeah. that was weird it's so well done but they do but they do the thing in the time loop of just been like, do you feel weird? Like, and it's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. It can't be. I must be going mental. Yeah. Um, remembers, you know, they slowly remember being killed. The doctor, everybody's remembering that they found Nick dead from a, from a Dalek blast. And then Sarah finds the force field at the front door, zaps herself, needs a weapon, so runs off. The doctor and everybody are going to go find Nick, but he remembered being murdered, so he runs off. And it's just, oh, for God's sake, if you just, you know, it's just trying to figure out how the movie, all the movie parts are going to fit. Mm. And Sarah, there was some comedic levity in Sarah finding all, um, all of Jeff's contraband, essentially. It's brilliant, isn't it? Because we get the, we get the run through at the very beginning, because Nick asks what can't be stored there, as you said, Dan. And basically, Jeff has broken all the rules. Oh, yeah. He's got taxidermied animals. Uh, he's got stolen holiday goods. Tins and tins of th- beef and beans that are three years out of date. Yeah, what's that? Um, for some reason. And it's just, I don't know, it's just bizarre. But we get this repetition again of um, of Sarah's conversation with her mum about the lions being busy at midnight. And, and it that, not sorry, 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 that, Did you, that is awesome. Because I can remember that happening. I can remember being... Uh, I'll tell you when it was. Yep. Uh, 1999, the millennium, the ticket over uh, into the, into 2000. And I can remember about four o'clock in the morning, my phone going batshit crazy. Because that's when people's text messages started to come through to me. You know, because it, it, this was... It was I mean, people, if, I don't know if, if we have any younger listeners to this podcast. I mean, first of all, if if you do listen and you're, and you're you know, of a younger age... There is the tick there to say this is explicit. This is meant for 18s and above. Thank you very much for listening, but we're not responsible for anything you hear. Okay, just get that out of the way, first of all. Fucking ask your parents. <laughs> but yeah, believe it or not, kids, that's what used to happen. If lots of people were on the phone yeah. at the same time, you couldn't get through. Yeah, it was crazy days. It was. And also much more <laughs> believable when you could, because you could, you could legitimately say to someone, oh, sorry, I missed your call. Didn't come through. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, but did you clock who um, who Sarah's mum is? I did, I did. I can't remember the lady's name, but the uh, she's from Father Ted, isn't she? Go on, go on, go on. Mrs Doyle, Mrs Mrs Doyle from Father Ted. There you go. She is brilliant, isn't yeah. she? Yeah. Although I do, I always flash back to she was in Shameless for a little while. I used to watch that a lot, and she ended that. up shagging Frank Gallagher. Okay. She ended up shagging Frank Gallagher in it, and I just, <laughs> I hadn't watched it for a couple of weeks, and I came downstairs, and I just, I don't know if I was, I turned the episode on or something, but a very awkward moment, sat there watching it with my dad as uh, as Mrs. Doyle is there with her baps out, getting reeled by Frank from Shameless. My goodness. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> didn't expect to see those. <laughs> go on, go on, go on. Go on, go on, go on. <laughs> 
<laughs> Dear me. Oh. Effectively, in this in this second loop as well, um, Sarah checks her phone because it was nine minutes to midnight and now it's eight. So we've already seen that time's sort of closing in and they're all running around. Nick sees Sarah on the on the fifth floor, wherever she is. He gets exterminated on the ground floor because he's gone to save her, whereas she's just gone for a weapon. Yeah. And then the doctor get the doctor and everybody get exterminated. Um just in the lobby when they find uh, when they find Nick. Yeah, and one thing that I, I, I want to ask about as well, actually, on the, on the very first loop, when they find Nick's exterminated body, first of all, I mm. think it is Nick, and the Doctor zaps her sonic on it and has a little scan of what's going on, and then basically comes to the conclusion that it was a Dalek. Dan asks, what's a Dalek? And has yeah. to have the saying of, oh, you know, the ultimate killing machine, etc., etc., which I, I like, from the aspect of, I, I was watching this story, and similar to how I, I sort of felt this way with regards to the girl in the fireplace, I would like to sit down and watch this with my mum, who mm. is not a big Doctor Who fan, but as a one-off story, I think she would really enjoy this. Now, John Bishop giving asking what's a Dalek, and then the Doctor explaining the most evil killing machine ever, or whatever it was that she said, Mm. works well if you're showing somebody this episode for the very first time uh, and uh, as a sort of standalone however john bishop should know what a dalek is shouldn't he because of what happened in the flux there was fucking millions of them he wasn't there for that bit was he not no um i can't remember exactly where he was but i don't think john bishop knew uh, knew anything about the the flux being used to destroy the dalek battle fleet oh okay or if he did, I don't. Th- I don't think he ever saw. I'm going from memory, which I've not. I've not watched the flux in a while. I might do that this afternoon. Um, <laughs> he's. I, I don't think he ever saw a Dalek face to face. But then oh, they do. Yeah, but then okay. they do also have a problem in Doctor Who of a sort of continuity of who knows what about the Daleks. Yeah. Okay. Because if you go back to the Tenant era, they had Daleks and Cybermen shooting it out all over the world. Mm. Or, well, certainly all over the country, you know, all over Britain. So you'd think people would know, but then they kind of rewrote it a little bit in the Matt Smith era because Amy Pond forgot what the Daleks were. It's because of the crack in a wall, and then Matt Smith rebooted the universe. So it's really sort of confusing as to who should know what in what timeline and all the rest of it. But given all the disasters over the years and, and whatnot, and the Earth fucking moving you know in world's end that we've covered this series yeah you'd think people would be aware but anyway it's it's kind of incidental and like you say it works for for bringing new people in as well you know if it just happens to be the first episode mm. something i did like you saying about that you know the, the matt smith rebooting the whole universe and world's end the planets moving and all this and there's all that jeopardy of the whole universe is always going to end is a big new who thing, isn't it? It's, it's mm. always bigger and bigger and bigger every time, more spectacular, more peril. I loved the way this was literally the doctor, two companions, two other, two other people in the cast, a couple of Daleks. I yeah, liked how, I liked it, how almost low key it is in a way. Less, it, less is more. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't always have to be saving the whole universe. I mean, again, go back to Classic Who. There's numerous times where the Doctor affected things 
for small groups of people. And I love that. Mm. Yeah. It's just on a, on a, on a sort of ma- same micro level, but on a more personable level. Yes. It's, it strikes more of a chord than because it, it's, ha- it's, it's incredibly difficult to wrap your head around the scale of a, of a world ending event, let alone a universe ending event. It's, it all becomes kind of abstract. It's a bit like what we looked at. It's a bit like Perry's reaction. When in the last episode we covered in the special, where the doctor said about something taking a couple of centuries, mm. you know, it doesn't hold any immediate. You know, the stakes there in the in the in the series or in the in the episode, but do you really feel it on on any sort of personal level? Yeah, and when it again, I suppose it's the same as the Daleks maybe being a bit watered down in New Who of how often we see them. It's almost. Like, if the universe is going to end every other Saturday night on BBC One, it, it doesn't ever... It's difficult to yeah. recreate that initial initial size and impact of that, I think. Yeah, well, we go back to Dalek as well. The first time you see it in New Who, it is one Dalek in trying to mm-hmm. break out of a facility. It takes out a lot of people, but that means it's more of a threat, which makes it scarier. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And in this, it's one Dalek, then it's two. And fair enough, I think it gets to three. Yes. But the Doctor taking out three Daleks with minimal resources, to me, is a better... Is, I hesitate to say better, but it sort of ticks more boxes than the Doctor taking down millions of them. Yeah, yeah, totally. One's, one's, one, I suppose the difference is one's a great story, the other's a great spectacle. Like the time war in the 50th anniversary and all the doctors teaming up to take out a billion, billion Daleks is amazing from an overall sort of story arc and world point of view. But something like this, where the doctor's having to use more, essentially more brain power and, and think a way out of a situation. I don't know, just, there's something, there's something that, that just hits home more about it. Yeah, I, I enjoy. If that, makes, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, totally. I enjoy. I enjoy a big world-ending scenario, universe-ending scenario, huge spectacle, as you brilliantly worded it. That does me at the end of a season, maybe, or every other season, or a special. It hasn't got to happen all the time, and and I really like how this is. I, I completely agree with you. Well, in in this one, the doc, uh, Dan says it. He, in the in one of the loops, I think. In fact, I think it's this one. I think it's the third loop. Um, he says to the Doctor, "You saved the world last week. I think I owe you one." Mm-hmm. In fact, I think it might be the fourth loop um, because in the third one that we're in now, it's seven minutes to midnight. Um, everybody, you know, Tardis crackles, and what I did like was the Doctor and Yaz saying "time loop" and Dan saying "Groundhog Day." <laughs> yeah same thing <laughs> yeah well he's right he's right yeah. you know on, on a smaller scale and then it, it's very quick exposition and, and sort of the characters catching up with what the the audience know nick and sarah run into each other and say we're stuck in a time loop with killer robots and then you know <laughs> and nick agrees and and so just like thank god because i thought i was going mental just saying it out loud yeah um but one thing I did like as well, it's sort of a moment of levity, and this is where Jodie Whittaker, I think, is it excels because partly because of a performance, but also it. We've spoken before how Whittaker's character can be a bit one-dimensional in terms of yep. constantly happy, laughing, joking, you know, a bit silly. 
just to get through situations. But we get the arrival. We get your one of your one of your favourite aspects and one of mine, the psychic paper introduction. And Love they it. say they're from the council's building control rapid response unit. And just Ashlyn B again, brilliant delivery where she just goes, three of you on New Year's Eve, you make me sick." <laughs> because it's such, but it's such a human response you know to something like that and we get we get them all like catching up on who's whose fault it is how many times they've died and all the rest of it and nick's just stood there thinking and he's like i'm trying to figure out which is more unlikely a time loop of killer robots or three people from the council working new year's eve yeah pretty spot on <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I just love that those little interactions and you know again we get caught up with um, what a Dalek is and does, and sorry about the noise in the background again. No worries. Um, <laughs> and you know why it's here. And it's an, again, it's an interesting perspective thing because the Dalek starts firing, and Nick tries to shield Sarah. Yeah. It's like what you're doing is like I'm being chivalrous, and she's sitting. She she calls it patronising. Um, which is, is a take. You know, mm. again, it's maybe a bit of that. I don't know. It's hard to word. Um, it's interesting either way, you know, because yeah. Nick's gone all, oh, shit, protect her. And she's just like, what the fuck are you doing, you clown? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I get what you mean. Uh, you, you mentioned there as well, there's this is something I definitely want to ask you about beforehand. You mentioned there as well about how things are jumping around in the, the time loop is, is shrinking and uh, we get quick explanations to various different aspects and the Dalek being explained away very quickly but very efficiently it's very to the point of what a Dalek is the pacing of this episode then because this isn't an ordinary 45 minute episode of New Who it's one of the specials which tend to clock in closer to an hour and I think this is just over the 60 minute mark I for one think this is paced really really well and when I watched it it didn't feel like an hour it felt like it went by much quicker yeah uh there's a lot going on a lot of fast dialogue and again you've got the whole time loop thing with the clock counting down which always we say on the show all the time adds that level of uh, peril and excitement to to what we're watching mm. i think this was done really really well in that the whole hour captivated me there wasn't a single moment where i thought oh i'll check my phone or anything like that yeah but it's longer than an ordinary episode of new who was that similar to yourself? Did you feel the same way? Or, or Absolutely. Did you, yeah? Yeah, loved it. It's it's a really clever thing to do because when you put the time of the loops together and they do every single loop, that comes out about 45 minutes. Okay. Which, which then means they've got about 10 minutes. And then you take out the credits. You know, the, 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 the opening and the closing credits, which probably amounts to a few minutes total. You know, it won't be any more than five minutes. Yeah. Definitely not. So then you're only left with about 10 to 12 minutes where they can actually add anything that could be considered filler. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's just so smart. And, and it, you say about fast dialogue, I, d- I don't know if it's fast so much as concise because they know times of the essence and the writers know that, so they have to get it across. And I've not gone so far as to time each loop, but I'm pretty sure they get it about spot on. You know, and you know yeah. they can they can shorten certain loops and you know and kill them early and, and stuff like that and and play with the time a little bit. But yeah, I love how it's paced and I think they did the sell the writers did themselves a lot of favors with doing it this way with the time and doing this sort of take on a time loop. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And you know that probably if you do were to sit down and time it, 
it would be roughly accurate because there's going to be some knobhead who does sit down there and time it just to be able to go on Twitter and go, oh, well, the leaflet was supposed to be seven minutes. It was actually only six, you know, six minutes, 45 seconds, and be a dick about it. Yeah, so they probably want to, got, you know. You've got to factor in the, the time they get killed. They're going to get killed early. Mm. Oh, yeah, so, true, yeah. You know, so it's, again, really smart thing to do. And it's one of those where I love that it crops up every so often, but I'm glad they don't do it too often. Yeah, because again, similar with the Daleks and, and the whole universe ending thing. The more you do something, the more watered down it gets, the less important it feels. Yeah. Yeah, pretty the novelty, much. The novelty wears off, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're spot on. You know, if every episode was a time loop episode, it'd be shit. I mean, I, I'm a big lover of, of The Flash, the TV show, and there are time travel elements in that with, you know, Barry running back in time and then changing things and, and the impact of that and so on and so forth. It's got to, I think, season nine before they've done a time loop episode. Right. Okay. And it okay. and it was so much fun that it finally that they finally got to do it and finally got there. You know, it's a bit of a sci-fi trope, but it made it that much more enjoyable because it was established characters who we've you know been with for eight seasons and a couple of episodes. So it was the perfect time to do it. But yeah, it's I, I really really like it. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, we get another aspect, I suppose, of the the relationship and the dynamic between Sarah and Nick here. You mentioned Dan that when the second loop happened, uh, Nick runs to go and try and help Sarah. Sarah runs to go get a weapon. Mm. Sarah, when on a different occasion, bumps into Nick, and Nick says he was on his way to come and save you last time. Sarah lies and said, "Yeah, I was doing the same thing." Yeah. So it's almost there's there's almost an aspect of I don't want to say embarrassment or I don't know, but almost like she knows maybe she should try a bit better potentially. I think she realizes her outlook was a bit selfish. Yeah, yeah. But it's also Nick is also quite philosophical about it all because later on when they're talking, he does describe it as a valid approach. So he's he's ridiculously understanding. <laughs> yeah, he'll do anything just better get him in the boot of his car. I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. don't even have a van um, <laughs> um, but th- in this third loop this is the point where we get all the, the conversation about Nick potentially being a murderer are, are all his exes alive because they've taken shelter in the um, in his unit hmm. uh, they go through the time loop thing uh, Sarah has a big sort of blow up and you know I mean it's just so you can catalogue your monopoly just throw stuff away Nick has a bit of a meltdown and tries to basically reason with the Dalek and sacrifice himself. And it's all like, whoa, okay, that was a bit of an extreme reaction. Yeah. You know, but this is, it also gives them a chance to talk about the mad stash of stuff, you know, four floors up and basically saying we need to use the time loops. We get another go at this. The Dalek bursts in. <laughs> Jody's got a great line about saying congratulations you've vanquished an old door and <laughs> yeah. we use the end of the loop to establish that the Doctor's the target and the Daleks will just continue exterminating until until the time loop closes yes and it is all again linked back to the Flux because the Doctor killed millions of Daleks in, in that story so it's a yeah. kind of revenge almost vengeful act by the daleks to send these these daleks 
where the doctor is and they've they detected the TARDIS and it's you know hard reset. I mean the doctor's turning it off and back on again, I assume is kind of what they do with these things, isn't it? <laughs> doctor Who IT. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so we're into the fourth loop and we're sort of straight to the fifth floor for everybody with, with six minutes left. Um the Dalek appears right behind Sarah and says, do not move. And she just responds, I am very much going to move and just runs <laughs> off, which it, it, it tickled me again. You know, I know we said it, it's been a bit too conversational with the Daleks, but it, it kind of tracked and it seemed in character. Um, mm. And it's, it's just sort of demonstrating that the Daleks are learning, you know, new Dalek starting points. There's a second Dalek signature. And this is where we get Dan pulling the sacrifice routine that we mentioned before. Yes. Um, he goes, he grabs a box, he does all his, you know, oh, you need a friendlier voice and tapping the eye stalk and, and all of that, which is quite, excuse me, a little bit there, quite casual to say that he's just found out they're the biggest killing machine in the galaxy. Again, but, you know, it made for a bit of a laugh. Uh, I think we've already mentioned Sarah and Nick sort of having that moment where she has to confess to him that she wasn't coming to save him. Yeah, and... Nick's reaction is a bit disappointed, but at the same time, he kind of just brushes over it, doesn't he? Which you can understand because there's killer robots, as they were the as they describe the Daleks, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like he sort of sits there, takes a second, then just goes, "It's a valid approach. You wanted a weapon," and then they have the bit where they say, and then she's like, "But I would have come and back, come back to save you." He says, "Yeah, but I'd have been dead." <laughs> so she's like, "That is admittedly a flaw." Yeah. Just a slight one. <laughs> but we, we get another sort of reaction from, from Sarah that is both relatable and also, well, what the fuck for Doctor Who? Because she just decides, decides to take her and Nick and get out via the basement exit. Mm-hmm. Just leave the Doctor and, and Dan and Yaz to it. Um, that's a point, actually. I just realised, I think this is the first time we've mentioned Yaz. Yeah, she has pretty much nothing to do in this whole story. Because I know when I was making my notes, I wrote down that the doc. I think I wrote down the doctor and Yaz end up looking through Jeff's stuff. Yeah, trying to find weapons and so on, and they find what looks like a almost a bedsit kind of flat effort. And Jeff apparently lives in the storage facility as well. Bit weird. And when I, yeah, totally. And when I wrote that down, I twigged that that was the very first time I'd mentioned Yaz. And I think that she has absolutely nothing to do in this episode at all, other than make goo goo eyes at the doctor later on. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Uh, oh, she sticks up for Dan. Oh yeah, okay. There's a couple of points where um, Sarah's having a pop. You know, saying who who she she actually says who's he, why is he talking? And yeah, says, oh, don't diss my mate. That's my job. <laughs> yeah, and he refers to her as Sheffield, doesn't he? Yeah, which fair enough. I think that happened quite a bit in the flux. Yeah, I like um, that. That bit, I did, that bit added a bit of character. I didn't mind that. Yeah, um, but yeah, we're in this loop. It's it, that, and that's effectively what it is. They've, they've split up. They're gonna they're trying to formulate a plan, but Nick and Sarah don't follow it. Um, they have the whole thing about Nick having a crush on her for like three years and her calling him a stalker and and the differences, you know, differences of opinion there of his uh, of his uh, his murder shag collection um yeah. murder shag collection that sounds awful yeah. would, would they pay, would, would they play gallifrey Fest i was literally about to say they sound like a, they sound like a terrible band yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fronted well, by nick the manchester ripper 
<laughs> the Manchester Rasta Ripper. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, oh god! Like oh god! Yeah, no, don't go down that route. Stop it! Stop it, brain. Right, we're back. <laughs> Everybody ends up just getting exterminated. And that even though the Doctor tries to tell the Daleks that the flux destroying the war fleet was the Santaran's fault. Yeah, but, yeah. They said she just hijacked the plan. With regards to everyone getting exterminated then, obviously the, the loop then resets with a minute less each time and so on. Mm. I mean, it's never explained and it's not important at all. It's just popped in my head now. They're all getting killed over and over again. Do you think they feel the pain? Can they remember the pain the next loop round? Is yeah. there pain at all? Or It's a Dalek extermination. There's bound to be. Mm. You know, the Daleks aren't going to spare them. Gonna no, spare no, I appreciate them. that. <laughs> yeah, I think they're... In, well, in fact, the show at the start, Nick and everybody remember dying. Mm. They remember getting exterminated, so... I'd say from the, they remember everything up to the moment the brain shuts off. Right, okay. Mm. Okay. Creepy, bit, bit sort of haunting when you think about it that way. Yeah, but you, you're, you're accurate. You're spot on. That answers the question that they must be able to remember it. And, and Well, obviously they remember the, the dying part, but they must be able to remember any potential fear and then pain just before the brain shuts off, as you say. But they don't mention it themselves that it hurts, and some of them actually run to their death again for the purpose of certain aspects of the plan and uh, certain aspects of plans that don't work. It, it, they're very quick to accept the inevitability that they're going to come back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it, it's not quite a plot hole, but it's one of those things where I'm just like, I don't think I'd be that eager to die. No, I, I wouldn't be like. I, I'd be like Sarah, thinking, you know, they're not our problem, literally, yeah. she says at one stage, and trying a door to get the hell out of there. Mm. And that's what I mean. That's why, on, on a human level, it, it's a reasonable reaction. Mm. But on a Doctor Who level, as a viewer, you're just like, whoa, what, what the fuck? <laughs> mm. um, but this fifth loop, uh, we're all back in the... Oh, most of everybody bar Nick is back in the reception. And Sarah reveals that Nick dies at 5-2, so they have to go get him. And it's this is where you, you've sort of realised that Sarah's coming round to Nick, I suppose, or just appreciating what he does or what and has done for her throughout these loops. Mm. And we get the, we get the speech about, about him being a good-hearted weirdo. <laughs> yeah, is it her friend or, or maybe a sister or something like that? She says that yeah. good-hearted weirdos are the keepers. And you can with that line there, literally Sarah in the space of this episode has gone from getting a weapon, run away, sod everyone else, to, mm. okay, maybe he's the good-hearted weirdo that my, my friend told me about it that is a keeper. And that's yeah. when we get Yaz looking at the Doctor in a certain way. And then Dan stood behind noticing he's looking at Yaz looking at the Doctor, isn't he? Yeah, but this is something he's clocked mm. years back. And, you know, and he says later on, you know, he says you didn't have Kane looking at that hologram. You know, and when yeah. the Doctor was, when the Doctor and Yaz and Dan were, were split up and separated and they were just left with the hologram of the Doctor and Yaz is looking at it for instruction and comfort and all the rest of it. So, yeah, it's... It's one of the, it's one of those things, and it you know it, it seems 
it seems quick, but when you're going through multiple life or death situations with somebody, it's going to bring you closer together. Yeah, of course, yeah. And obviously very quickly, and, and quite frankly, anything like this is bound to fuck your brain up in several different ways. <laughs> well, yeah, first of all, there's aliens. Secondly, there's a time loop. And then thirdly, you keep fucking dying over and over again. Well, that's, the thing that's, that's what I forgot to say when you were saying about like the dying and if you feel it or not. They have to, and then just the getting your brain around that. Surely that leads to some sort of therapy. <laughs> it must do. It must do. You know? Yeah. React really there much. and then because of the the countdown and the minutes, get, you know, the, the time left getting shorter and shorter each time. They know they're getting less and less time to respond and react, aren't they? Yeah, basically. And, and this is what the doctor comes around to. We get all of the, you know, the arguments and whatnot about what to do and saving Nick and all the rest of it. This is where Dick, uh, where Dick, where Nick ducks. <laughs> this is, this <laughs> where, is Dick where, Di- where Dick nooks. Yeah. Dick nooks. <laughs> like some sort of penis knuckle duster. Um, <laughs> Playing soon at Gallifrey Fest, Penis Knuckle Duster. Penis Knuckle Duster. Fronted <laughs> by lead man Dick Nooks. Um, <laughs> I prefer this solo stuff. <laughs> it was quite Andy, wasn't he? Um, yeah. <laughs> <There we go. laughs> um, so the doctor's sort of reasoning it out, saying in the next the next run, they've got they should split up and they've got five lots of four minutes or so 20 minutes. We need to get all the explosive and toxic materials from the fifth floor into the basement. And the doctor can bounce the life signs around to distract the Daleks. And they just need an ignition trigger, which is where Sarah's phone comes into play. And it's all these little things that have been dropped in where you don't think yes. anything of it. And it comes into play later on. I love the foreshadowing and how, and that kind of storytelling, it always gets a pop. Yeah. Like uh, the cyanide last week that we were talking about with Colin Baker, for example. Yeah. Exactly, absolute nothing thing initially, apart from to look at it, hmm, a bit weird. But there it was, you know, used for the Doctor to be very undoctor-like and kill someone, um, unless the Doctor in question is Harold Shipman. Um, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, mate, too far, too soon. <laughs> Christ, of all the stuff I've said on this show, and that's what gets you. Um, but the, the Doctor then says, can you get your mum to call at 10 seconds to midnight and there's a great line from uh, from Sarah saying if our lives depend on my mother calling me at a time I actually ask her to honestly we're all dead yeah but it's it, it's shown hasn't it with a whole I'm not ringing then because I get it's that foreshadowing it's little touches yeah you know. bring, I, me, I, I'm bring not... me at the bongs and, and all of that and the lines yeah. being busy and yeah really really clever yes it is it's, it's well put together this I mean, time loop stuff is very clever anyway just by the nature of what it is if it's done even half right it's very mm. clever but the other bits and bobs that are almost throwaway story you know devices tying in towards the end it is a brilliantly written episode i think yeah it really is and it just but again it adds another little layer to the essentially the shit that sarah has to deal with in her, in her character and her family life and why essentially why she is the way she is at certain points mm. yeah and then three daleks warp in and shoot them yes and that's when the doctor <laughs> died uh, again and again and again, and again. yeah <laughs> um in the we're in the sixth loop now Sorry, I've just taken over, but fuck it. I've no, got you it crack all, on. I've got, crack all, on. I've got it all split out. Um, and I just, as you can tell, I, I quite like talking about this stuff. Um, Sarah, so Sarah's faced with the Dalek, runs off, 
the Dalek zaps the lift and Sarah gets executed in the lift. This is a really quick loop. Um, yes. the, a Dalek appears behind Nick and kills him just pretty much immediately. Uh, the TARDIS crew exit, the lights go off, the Doctor runs off under protest from Yazin, why are you always leaving us? Which is, again, I think a legacy of the sort of the separation during the flux. Yeah, and it's, it's something that... I, I think Whitaker's Doctor, we've said about it before, haven't we, on, on the show, mm. that Whitaker's performance itself and potentially the writing does improve as her time as the Doctor goes ahead. But... I was thinking about this last night before we sat down to, to, to record today. I'm going to struggle, I think, now, after this one, and after looking at a couple of Whitaker episodes already for the podcast, I'm going to struggle, if I get Whitaker next season, to pick something that I really, really liked. There are episodes mm-hmm. that I prefer to others, but I think we've pretty much done the ones that I thought were bloody brilliant after this. So that whole thing of the doctor running away and, and oh, I'll explain later and so on. It, it's been a thread throughout the whole of her time, which when you consider how the writing improved and changed and then how Whitaker improved and changed, it's interesting. They've kept that thread running throughout, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is. And when you yeah, sorry, you just got me thinking, you know, my brain was going off on a tangent because you said about the sort of the really good Whitaker episodes. Um, my pick for this season was going to be one that I just couldn't remember at all. Okay. To see if to see how it stood up, essentially. And I think I've got a few in my head that were memorable, some for good reasons, some for bad reasons. But yeah, I'd need to look at the episode list to um, sort of think what my next move would be for Whitaker. Mm. Yeah. It's a strange I, I, one. There are episodes, I mean, again, going back and watching it all recently with Charlie makes me, it's a bit fresher in my mind than perhaps it would have been otherwise. And I think about stories that I enjoyed, but then I think about stories that, I mean, Charlie enjoyed because she'll take it at face value, but me as a grown-up can see through certain aspects. I mean, the, the, the one with Rosa Parks, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a clever tinkering with the past and you know the repercussions of that and all that sort of stuff and a historical moment and, and everything like that mm. but i find with a lot of the stuff during whitaker's time as the doctor it's there's no subtlety to anything mm. it's far too on the nose you know i don't need there are people out there in the world who need to be told this of course but as a doctor who viewer sitting down with my daughter or whatever i don't need to be slapped across the face and told racism is bad i fucking know that it's it and you know? sort of, there's the yeah, there's a wider thing and of the um like in the orphan 55 episode where like oh the, you know it's a, it's a scorched planet there's only this little bubble of artificial yes. atmosphere and then it was earth all along yeah, um, oh, look at that. Pollution is bad. Look after well, the, and the dangers just, of Yeah, the dangers of nuclear war and then the Praxis stuff, which is the plastics yeah. in the ocean. It's and just th- so slappy across the face, non-subtle. It's like, it's like when you bring up... Uh, uh, the most unsubtle thing I think I've found in life that I can liken this to is when you get to that lull in the middle of the afternoon and you've got a day off work and you're just scanning through your skybox or your cable box or whatever device you have on the channel guide just looking for something to put on for 10-15 minutes just to what you're know, washing making your cup of tea or whatever and you go past the history channel 
and you look at the names of the programs on the History Channel, it's the most unsubtle thing in the world. It's like, yeah, okay, we know the Nazis were pricks. <laughs> you know? It's that kind of vibe with this time in Doctor Who. It's like, yes, pollution is bad. War is bad. Racism and homophobia, bad, bad, bad. Of course they are. I'm not making light of any of those scenarios. But either don't be so preachy and leave it alone, or be be more intelligent with your uh, aspects of trying to put across. This is so. This is where the Russell T Davis era kind of spoiled us as Doctor Who fans. Yes. Oh, yes, one hundred percent. Because Russell T made all these points and and stuck to it and had and had a philosophy of of inclusivity and. And, and all of these things, but it was ingra- it was ingrained and normalised within the storytelling. Mm, yeah, from from day one, and it, I think to be honest, I think part of it comes with a changing of the times, because when Doctor Who first came back, you know they dropped in. A time travelling bisexual shag machine in Jack Harkness. <laughs> yep. Also playing at Gallifrey Fest. Um, <laughs> a time travelling <laughs> shag machine. Um, and, and nobody batted an eyelid. Yeah. You know, just, just as one example. Nowadays, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a difficult one, but nowadays it's, it's, it's a really difficult thing to, to sort of broach as a straight white man. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, to be honest, and, we're, and we've said it before, we're, we're maybe not the people that should be having this conversation without any other, you know, any, any, any other representatives, shall mm-hmm. we say. Yeah. But it feels like with the, with the, the way that certain things have been politicised and weaponised in wider society, that Doctor Who and, and other shows have had to be more insistent and just and be like, basically, in America and, and the UK as well, fuck you. These are still issues. We are still going to represent everybody on TV. Bollocks to you. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, uh, is the way it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, coming from a place from either you or I of, of not wanting that. Of course not. But I wonder if, I wonder if it, with the... I don't want to say more overtness, but with the less subtle approach to storytelling, I wonder if that's essentially a societal necessity and a a bite back uh, anybody who wants to say, uh, the twats who want to say otherwise mm. and deny deny people's existence and, and deny people the chance to be who they are or you know deny climate change or anything like that. That is something that's been sort of racking, sort of rattling through my head for the last few weeks. Yeah, no, I understand. And the more I think about it, the the more it makes sense. And it may just yeah. be that, and it may, and and you know, the the may, there will be a factor that not everybody can be as talented a writer as Russell T Davis. Well, yeah, of course, that has shown <laughs> literally in the life of New Who itself. Never mind anything else. Yeah, from from Moffat to Chimbals. Um, mm. But yeah, it was just it was just a question that I thought I'd pause it because. The more I think about it, the more it makes sense, as I said. Yeah. With everything going on in the world and, and feeling like, you know, feeling like stuff's going to hell in a handbasket and 
I think it, it. I think it. I think the storytelling had to be more on the nose to try it, just to get. Just I don't. I don't know. It's again really difficult to broach. But then, are you are you preaching to the converted? Because if somebody's beliefs are so entrenched, then they wouldn't be watching Doctor Who in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of my mind. I, I suppose. I suppose in a way, you could you could throw out the argument that we're going right back to the root of the show in that mm. it's supposed to be educational. It was initially made to be an educational vehicle. So, you know, this is educating very young people when they're watching Doctor Who, but at the same time, do those young people need educating? I, I don't know. It's, it's a whole minefield of, of questions, isn't it? Yeah, and, and ones that, as I said, were probably not the best equipped to um, to discuss just between ourselves. No, that's fair enough. That's fair so best best we move on before we accidentally uh, accidentally annoy anybody. Well, before you say before we, it's bound to be me. I'm going to say something really stupid. So <laughs> uh, where oh, were we? Where were we? Uh, we're at the, we're, it's the it's the whole conversation with um, with Yaz and Dan because uh, we went down a bit of a rabbit hole there, didn't we? Um, did. Yaz and Dan have been left alone, and it's the conversation where Dan's asking if. Yaz has, has ever told the doctor how she feels about her. Mm-hmm. Yaz is pretending not to know what she means and then just says, oh, shit, is it that obvious? And, uh, you know, it's. And we get the thing where Dan says, I've spent four years traveling the world with you. I saw it then and it's and it's still there. And, we do, you know, Yaz has a moment to just confess that she she doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And it, it's, it's not as easy as he as he says it is. And, and we do get an insight into Dan's character because uh, a name escapes me now because, again, I've only watched The Flux when it aired. But there was the uh, the woman from the museum. Yes. Who we liked. And he said, you know, I took way too long to tell someone that I liked him and the universe ended and everything got messy. He, he doesn't want that to happen to Sheffield, to Yaz. Yeah, there's something I picked up on this watch of this episode that I've never got before as well. And that was when Yaz responded with, I, you know, I don't know what to do. I've never told anyone. Mm. Now, I just took, I didn't think nothing of that until literally re-watching this episode for the recording today. So I watched it when it was first aired. I watched it again with Charlie and I watched it a third time for, for recording today. And this third time, I thought to myself, huh, she's not just meaning I don't know what to say. I've never told anyone before, as in. I love you or I like you or anything like that. I think there was a hint there of her saying, I don't know what to do about it or don't know what to say as in her own sexuality, because essentially we've never had any hint at Yaz being gay before this. And if mm. anything, there are moments really early on in the Whitaker era where I wouldn't say they were flirting and it wasn't a will they won't they, but, there were comments between um, Yaz and Ryan that, again, it wasn't big enough to think, oh, they're going to go somewhere with this or anything like that. But the door was open. Yes, exactly. So, and and I always got the feeling with Yaz and the whole, uh, I suppose, Yaz fancying the doctor, loving the doctor, however you want to word it. I always got the impression with that that it was very much a put in at the last moment afterthought. Maybe not an afterthought as in it wasn't important, but you know, you had three more episodes effectively here of of Whitaker with Yaz. 
and people were i don't know it was almost like they needed something extra and that's where they went and because yaz had never really expressed any but well, literally this is the first time she spoke about it as she says herself mm. so i wonder if not just the character but the writing i wonder if they didn't have yaz down as being gay at the beginning of the story at the beginning of her tie on dot two and now she is or now she's you know now she fancies the doctor you know again regardless of sexuality whatever it's just the doctor who she likes mm. that line of i don't know what to do really stood out to me on this occasion watching in a completely different context yeah there's a lot to be read into it when you put it that way it's it's definitely one to ponder um the way i've always thought about it as well is i, I put well i put it in reference to something that happens in torchwood um spoiler alert so i know you've not seen it but you'll forget by the time you get around to watching it anyway i'll, I'll forget um, we finished today yeah i think it's in <laughs> children of, i think it's in children of earth uh, Jack is basically in a relationship with one of the Torchwood staff. It was one of the main characters called Yanto. And Yanto has a conversation with his sister about it. You know, he, he goes home, he's a lad from a council estate by birth, but he's rocking around in really quality suits and all that. So he's, you know, she asks his sister asks him about Jack in very 2007 terms, shall we say, <laughs> when you okay. watch it. Right. Um, and he says, uh, Yanta effectively says, I'm not gay. It's not men. It's, it's just him. Mm-hmm. He's just completely fallen for the person that Jack right. is. It's nothing to do with, with, with gender or anything like that. And that always rang true for me when thinking about encountering the Doctor. How could you not, on some level, fall for somebody who shows you all these mental sights and is so intelligent and so brave and lives this mental life and is just a mad person with a blue box? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. it would be ridiculous. It would ridiculous, especially for you know traveling for the longest time. Like you know, the way that the way that when they bring Sarah Jane back in in New Who with Tennant, I always there was always an undercurrent there. For me. Yes, particularly yeah. from Sarah Jane's side. I don't know if that's true in in her initial run on the show. I've not seen enough of it. Not uh, like that, no, no, but. To me, just think in wider terms, if you travel with a doctor for for long enough, you're going to fall in one way or another. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And I suppose it helps as well that Whitaker is really, really pr- a pretty lady. You know, it's easy. <laughs> it you're so superficial, Sire. No, you, I just think it's just, easier just, to buy into. such a horn dog. It's, <laughs> it's easier to buy into in New Who because the doctors do tend to be younger people playing them. And you know more. Attract- I mean, I love Colin Baker as the Doctor, but he's a weird-looking dude. Let's be honest. <laughs> do you know what I'm getting at? <laughs> Those eyes don't do it for you. No, exactly, mate. Exactly. No, <laughs> exactly. Sylvester McCoy, mind? No, never mind. Anyway. <laughs> just, just, just sat, just sat there with a rock on for William Hartnell. 
the way the way McCoy rolls his R's. Oh. Mm. <laughs> a tear, Sarah Jane. A tear, Sarah Jane. <laughs> Fuck's oh, sake. No. We were having a really intelligent conversation, sort of, for it's us. Just- Onto shit again, hasn't it? Yeah, but anyway, after all this, you know, bright, happy, well, say happy, this this intense moment that Yaz and Dan are having, Yaz looks past Dan and there's a Dalek behind him and then there's this, one behind her as well. This is well, fucking brilliant. Yeah. Just says, says, Dan, don't move or don't turn around or something. Yeah. And then Dan says, there's one behind you too and the light then comes on in the, oh, it's so well shot. It is a yeah. brilliant piece of television. <laughs> It's it's quite possibly the the best kill. I think it's the best kill in the show. Yes, yes, like, the best extermination. Lot, and there's a lot of competition for that title, but I think you're right. Yeah, it's just oh, this really emotional moment, and then just exterminate, boom. And again, it shows that time really is of the essence, isn't it? They can't, they, they haven't got, uh, again, the same with Nick and Sarah when they were having their chat hidden down behind whatever yeah. they were hiding behind. It shows that time is of the essence here. They haven't got a second to stop and reflect on anything. Because mm. the moment they do, they're dead. Yeah. And the doctor then finds Sarah in the lift, says she'll fix it, and all you hear is incorrect, and gets exterminated by three executioner Daleks. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And that's and that's his sixth loop. They had four minutes there. So the seventh loop, they've got three minutes. And you've got the doctor just walking around, and the doctor is pissed. And if there's, it's one of those rare moments that um, that Whitaker gets to show flashes of anger. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Which like, is a trait in the Doctor's in New Who. Yeah. When you look, when you look back from Eccleston onwards, they all like, they can all be laughing, jokey, and, and 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 silly and daft, I guess, to varying levels. Yeah. But they've each had those moments of rage and anger and, and vengeance almost mm. uh tenant is superb at it matt smith because i think his doctor is a little bit more kooky a little bit more out there than even tenant when he gets like that it's a, even a bigger switch capaldi yeah. was quite a naturally i don't know if it's the age thing or or what i don't know but capaldi was always a, a little bit more of a grumpier aspect to the doctor anyway but he would lose his temper sometimes whereas whitaker doesn't tend to do that as much Hmm. Yeah. So, but then that means that it stands out here. When yeah. she's now, now she's all business, mm. and even to the point of of going into leader mode and just said telling you has to do what I say, and then has yeah. the whole look. There's no time, and then I won't let you die for my mis- for you know for my decisions. And Dan's the, the, the doctor and Dan are setting up all these fireworks and whatnot. Um, Dan tries to tell the doctor. That uh, Yaz has feelings for, her. and the doctor pretends, and then calls her out for pretending not to know, and for ignoring yeah. it, which I thought was interesting. Dan sees more than he lets on, and also he's not a great mate to Yaz, there is he? How bad would it be if you you, you told a really good friend of yours that you've been hanging around with for years, travelling the world with in, in some really dangerous situations, effectively one of your best mates? Oh, I really like such and such, and then literally five minutes later they've nipped off to spoil it for you. So, oh. right, um, <laughs> you say that, it does work out in certain situations because I've done it. No, okay, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I get that. So, but... I, I, I had a great one where um, one of my friends had been saying for weeks or months how much she fancied 
uh, one of the guys who worked in in the pub, and uh, I, I knew him really well because obviously I was a regular there, you know, for like three four times a week. And we went in one day, and I hid my mate behind me because she's only small, and you know, I'm a big lad, and shouted barman over, and because he'd like given indications, you know, the same way. And I was like. I was like, oh, you know my mate, I won't use any names, obviously, just in case. Uh-huh. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, she's cute, quite like her. And then I just stepped to the side and just went, she likes you two, talk to each other, I'm sick of fucking hearing about it, and walked off. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I could feel the awkwardness behind me. Uh, but they're still together, I think, six years later. Nice. Ah, good work. Yeah, like a big fat Cupid. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to see you in the nappy, though, to be fair. Oh, it's on the internet. You can pay for that. Um, Only dozens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, what a horrifying mental image. Um, so, yeah, they're all sort of coming together now. Uh, Yaz is running from the Dalek. Sarah and Nick are sorting stuff out on floor five. Um, we realise that Sarah's not actually fussed at losing the uh, the family obligation she took on while people were grieving. Because it yeah, just sort of, sick of it. became a life when she wasn't looking yet, which is well, that, well, that's what made me laugh earlier. We glossed over it, but the doctor asks her and says, "What? How do you feel about losing this place?" Says, "Well, I have to check my insurance." It's like, I don't think you'll be covered for act of Dalek. No, exactly. Which was funny, and we get another amusing line where where Nick finally asks why it's called Elf Storage, and it's because the S fell off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that because it's it. It, it again shows you know she's not maintaining the place properly she ain't got the money to do it but it's christmas time so it's elf storage it works on so many different levels yeah it, it was just a fun little thing yeah um, yaz gets them all to go down in the basement the daleks are patrolling their life signals are in the basement uh the doctor's survival plan hinges on the basement the plan hasn't changed but the best plan is to be one loop smarter than the daleks mm-hmm so this loop that they're doing now is a decoy plan. Then it re- when it resets for the final loop, they have the advantage. It almost buys them time when they've got less time next time round, doesn't it, if that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, which is a, a weird way to look at it, but because the next two loops, they've got two minutes and then one minute. Yeah, yeah. So for the eighth loop, two minutes left. Sarah runs for the lift, gets the door closed before extermination, she has a moment with her mum, calls her to say Happy New Year, and she misses her, and she loves her, and her mum immediately asks if she's pissed or ill. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I'll speak to you later, puts the phone down. Yeah, she's just like, for fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, kind of relatable, I suppose. Um, the Daleks have fired a fine... The Daleks have found Nick hiding behind a, a, a box of all his shit uh, from his exes, and... <laughs> quite like it. he just pops out and he says thanks for the therapy x terminated yeah got rid of all of his trophy he can never be caught now look he's not gonna kill anyone anymore well i don't know about that but he's yeah. not gonna get caught for those past issues because all of the evidence is gone now well, all of his trophies um i did like it as well we got a chance for ashlyn b to flex a bit a few more comedy muscles when the lift opens up and she just goes, top floor, electricals, women, women's wear and fish tanks. And the Dalek just kills her. Yeah. <laughs> She's fucking brilliant in this. <laughs> she really has got full range as well uh, from her. And then another Dalek finds the Doctor and, and Yaz and Dan in Jeff's living room. So we're just having some food. We might put on the hoots and Annie. Do you want to join us? 
but this again is another uh, another example of the Daleks being a bit too chatty. Because what is it the Dalek responds with? Like, oh, Daleks don't have friends or something like that, isn't it? Something like that. Said, but, but then you will never escape execution. Mm. I think as well, it was um, it's something it won't have aired by the time this does. But I sent you over yesterday the um, the, the third part of um, Edge of Reality. Yes, the you know, the, the solo miniseries, and in that the cyber in the third part of that the Cybermen understand the power of emotions. So try and manipulate them. And we've seen the Daleks do that right back to Dalek with Eccleston, where he, the Dalek preyed on Billy Piper's humanity, essentially, to to get her to touch it and then extrapolate the, the Artron energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it could be one of them. They could just be trying to make them fearful. Yeah, I guess. I, I never like the Cybermen showing forms of emotion. The Daleks are a different kettle of fish, aren't they? But the Cybermen... Mm. The whole premise of, especially in New Who, it's really hammered home in New Who, that they're having all emotions removed. So when they or show any kind inhibit, of, or at least inhibited. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know what story it was we covered. It might have been a Peter. Da- it might have been Earthshock actually with Peter Davidson that we covered mm. for either this series or last. I think it was last series. And the Dalek, sorry, the Dalek, the Cybermen were acting in one particular scene, acting and even said about it, acting out of revenge. Now, revenge, mm-hmm. revenge is caused by an emo- it's an emotion, so that didn't work for me. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an odd one, but anyway, they get shot in the living room eating three-year-old beef and beans. Ugh. <laughs> that was another line I liked as well. I think it was um, was it Yaz who looks at all the cans of food and just goes, "Who looks at who's eating beans and thinks they need to be a bit more beefy?" Yeah. It's a weird. It's weird. Isn't it? I mean, you can buy obviously the sausages in tins of beans, and you can buy beef burger bits in tins of beans, but just literally called beef and beans, and they're all out of date as well. It's a weird thing to have, like yeah, have a hundred many cans that that guy Jeff had. I want. I want a, a side episode just on Jeff and the way he lives his life. Yeah, that could be like a little mini series, couldn't it? I've, just following I've, the guy around. I've got a feeling he's going to be like a like a storage space Del boy. <laughs> yeah or because yeah. of all the weirdness yeah uh, and, and all the collections of just odd random shit he could be a future or past version of the doctor because you can see the doctor collecting weird crap can you? <laughs> yeah and just to hide himself or herself obviously from any alien invaders they took the name jeff fair enough turns up with a fob watch job done yeah there you go <laughs> um so we're into the ninth and final loop they've got one minute Yes. Sarah rings her mum and asks her to call 10 seconds before midnight. The Doctor sonics the phone. They've managed to get everything together just ridiculously quickly. Dalek's running after them, piling fireworks and everything. They, they all converge and unload the explosive containers. The Daleks realise they've been sent the wrong way. Mm-hmm. The Doctor sets the bomb, and there's a lovely little line here. Being from York, this hits home. So I haven't seen this much gunpowder since 1605. Which you know, Guy Fox. Yes, of course, yeah. Who was famously from York. Um, the Dalek arrives. The Doctor uses the Sonic to kill the lights. The night vision's been interrupted. The Dalek converges on the pile of stuff. Sarah's phone goes off. You can just see, just see Mrs. Doyle on the screen, just like, what Hello? the shit's, what the shit's <laughs> going on? And they're all, they all run out of the building. The Dalek's firing the explosives, and the whole place goes up. 
Yeah, and I can remember like, from previous watches that the the phone ringing, the timing of it, and the Dalek hearing Sarah's mum's voice, and then detecting it as human, so shooting what's in front of it, the explosion, and then I can remember the fireworks all going off in the sky, and everyone stood watching the fireworks, and even the weird guy on his own filming it and saying it's a good display. What I completely forgot about is the brilliant image we get of, I suppose, the waste left behind, the, the explosion site. Mm. The TARDIS just sat there looking majestic and wonderful and glorious yeah. around all this flaming rubble with bits of Dalek in the flaming. It was such a great, I can't, I can't believe I forgot about it because visually it was incredible. It's a lot of effort for one shot. It is. It really is. Really good yeah. stuff. And just in the, with the fireworks, uh, Sarah and Nick are sharing, you know, significant looks. And the Doctor's looking at Yaz, who's looking at the fireworks, but Dan's looking at the Doctor. Yeah. So that's obviously all setting up, you know, setting up the following episodes. And and the story arc, they're going to go on there. Um, and this is pretty much the end of end of the episode. The TARDIS interior is fixed. The uh, Yaz asks the Doctor about actions catching up with it, but the Doctor shrugs it off, as the Doctor does, and they decide to go after the lost treasure of Flor de Lamar, which is the very next special where the uh, the Sea Devils come back. Um, yes, indeed. Yeah, and then I did like the... How did you feel about the end bit? Because Sarah had said about you know having a notion of, of travelling the world, but, mm-hmm. but never having anybody to do it with, and her and Nick are loading a suitcase into the cab. She has another sake row with her mother. Um, who's taking jabs about a business about burning the business down? But then, as soon as her mother sees Nick, she's all sweet. Oh, hello! Um, you know, giving mm. it all that. I just, just the lie there. Do not flirt with my mother. <laughs> I, I liked it. They obviously said they're getting in the taxi to go travelling. I mm. liked the way that we're seeing these people, almost like the aftermath, and and it's it's tying a bow on it isn't it and then the last shot we see as they get in the ta- in, in the taxi to drive away is the tardis flying across off onto its next adventure it ties yeah. everything up really nicely in a, in a tidy little bow and everything's everyone's done dusted happy nice little happy ending the other side of that is i'm thinking you know they've gone traveling and sarah now is dead in some ditch in like you know somewhere in africa or asia or somewhere she's the next yeah. victim she's gone <laughs> Okay, hell. You know, he can't he can't fight those killing urges for long, mate. Yeah, it was so weird. He had all that stuff. Yeah, really, really. That's that's proper serial killer shit. That's an episode of Criminal Minds there, right there. <laughs> was there an episode of Murder in Mind like that? I don't know. I don't know. Most of Murder in Mind, you don't. I don't think there are any serial killers. Well, not so far. Anyway. We're two and a half seasons. What season and a half in? But uh, yeah, well, I will have to see because we're re- resuming recording on that literally today as we speak. So, oh, very nice, very nice. Yeah. But you know, I'm going I'm to flip the script on here then, and I'm going to ask you, what did you think of this episode overall as we look to wrap up? Um, I might contradict myself a little bit here, considering people listening back to the rest of the show have heard me pick little holes in certain things and mock certain aspects of certain characters like Nick and his serial killer tendencies and all that sort of stuff. Uh, there were certain moments I didn't get on board with, with regards to certain dialogue with the Daleks and, and so on. And here comes the big contradiction. I fucking loved this. 
this was bloody brilliant. I love the time loop aspect. I love the fact that you've got to try and counter what you already know is going to happen in the next few minutes. I thought Ashling B was fucking fantastic. And, you know, hopefully she gets away from Nick and comes back at some point in the future. But I mean, they can write Nick out. He's been caught trying to kill somebody on their holidays or something and been arrested. <laughs> I don't know. You know, and, um, I'd like to see more of her character in Doctor Who. I don't think she's like when we discussed Nancy in the past with the Eccleston story in that Nancy was brilliant. We'd like to see more of her, but at the same time, that might ruin it. I think Nancy's Nancy's story was told. Yeah, there you go. So yes, that's what I mean. If you saw more of her, it may, yeah, it may take away some of the greatness of what we saw which in a roundabout way was funny because it was the greatness that made us think it'd be great to see her again. But yeah, leave it as is, is perfect. With the character of Sarah, I could quite happily see her involved in the future. I think there's a lot to that character. I think she's great. I just, I loved all of it. I just thought it was so good and clever and well-written, well-acted on the whole. Uh, Yeah, I loved it. And I think when we do our end of season countdown ranking episode, this is going to, this is going to finish pretty high for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, same. I, I just echo everything you said there. Absolutely loved it. Everybody played the parts well. Less is definitely more in this scenario, um, with you know maximum three Daleks, five people. You know, five five good guys, so to speak. Yep. And just a really good take on the time loop idea with it closing in. You know, mm-hmm. like like we said before, it upped the stakes. It upped the danger. It 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 gave everything an excuse to move along at a fair clip and. and just everything came together so very very well and just uh, as i said been going on going along numerically this sits at a solid eight eight and a half for me which currently puts well i don't know whether i should say say where it currently is in my rankings i might be giving too much away for the draft episode but you know what i reserve the right to change my mind at yeah the of course. Minute, it's current at the minute it's currently second of what we've seen so far which for a whitaker episode is probably going to be a surprise because going into this, I like into this project as a whole from season one. Um, I'll be honest, I was expecting Whitaker to be fairly low down every yeah. series. Yeah, me. Yeah, I but, know where you're coming from. But you got to love being surprised. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. So there we go. That's our Whitaker episode for our fourth season done. Uh, before we depart, I suppose, I'll ask the usual question I ask every single week, partially to let the listeners know what we're doing, but also partially because I won't won't have a clue and I'll be reminding myself. (laughs) What we're doing next week, Dan? Next week, we're going back to Colin Baker and we're going back to the Daleks because we're covering Revelation of the Daleks. Ah, yes. Have you seen or heard or know anything of this? Nothing at all, and I picked it. Okay. But I do believe my logic for it was that I wanted to pick a Dalek episode because we hadn't had one for a while. And here we are now on our second one in a row and our third one of the series. Yeah. It's it's an odd it's an odd one. I'll I'll, I'll tell you that. It's a it's funny ki- one. It's Colin Baker. It was Yeah, good. exactly. You've got I've seen articles literally this week online ranking the best Colin Baker Doctor Who stories. Mm-hmm. And on one of the articles I read, this came first for that particular person who wrote it. Mm. And then there was also another article or another uh, thing I read that put it about mid-table because it was a confusing mess. 
Um, I know that that there's the Daleks look fantastic in this. The Dalek designs in this upcoming story next week look incredible. And we've got a couple of guest stars or actors that you'll know anyway. We've Mm. got the the chap who you remember Mrs. Bucket or Bouquet from um, Patricia Routledge, yes. Yeah, from Keeping Up Appearances. The guy who played her husband is in this. Clive Swift. If I, is that his name? Okay. Yeah. Also came back for one of the uh, for the Christmas specials where they were aboard the space Titanic that Kylie Minogue was in. Ah, there you go. Ah, oh, Kylie. Um, I'm fairly certain he's in this. <laughs> I'm fairly certain he's in this. Uh, and also, Alexi Sale is in this. Oh, fair enough. But he's his character is a fucking annoying prick. He was. You said Alexi Sale. You said Alexi Sale, and my brain immediately went to Alexi Lalas, who played for the USA in like the late nineties. Oh, the big orange hair. Yeah, don't know why. He could be a brilliant villain in Doctor Who. <laughs> I wonder if he's still got that big mop of orange hair and the beard and whatnot. Oh, if he does, he needs to be partnered with uh, Carlos Valderrama. I saw a picture of Carlos Valderrama literally this week, but a present day picture, and his hair is still big. But it's yeah. grey. It's grey now. He looks like an old wiry toilet brush. <laughs> you know, it, an old wiry toilet brush. There we go. And on that note, obviously, because you know, well, first of all, I think well done to us because I don't reckon there's a single other Doctor Who podcast in the whole world that will be talking about Carlos Valderrama this week. So well done us. And. Yeah. Uh, Lastly, I suppose, before we depart, we better let everyone know where we can find other projects and you know we're involved in and, and ourselves online. Dan, do you want to crack on with that? Oh, go on then. Yeah, if you want to hear more of me talking about stuff, I'm over on Unbooking the Territory. We're on Twitter at UTT Podcast, looking at the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, we have side projects, uh, first one being Unbooking the Tankatory, which will be coming to the end of its run fairly shortly as we look at the life and times of the in-ring career of the the hardest man that ever lived, Mr. David Tank Abbott. And our fight, fucking hell, fucking up my own outro now. Uh, <laughs> and our other side project is Unputting the Territory, where we look at the only time a wrestling belt has changed hands by a legitimate sporting competition, which is the Being the Elite Gator Golf Championship for the Being the Elite title. And I get irrationally angry over a bunch of dudes playing mini golf. And rightfully so. How many backflips do they chuck into that? Must be at least 80. None so far. Mm, it's all going to come later on then. Yeah, probably. Th- they can't do anything about a backflip and a super kick unnecessarily. <laughs> we, we, we have had one instance of uh, Colt Cabana playing, but it's actually Colt Cabana after plastic surgery who now looks like Michael Nakazawa. Ah, of course. Of course. That heel turn of his didn't quite work out, did it? So, you know. simple logical storytelling <laughs> oh, anything I'm involved in you can find via the network that carries this show uh, at SJP World Media is what you need and that's at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter and all your podcast players platforms and providers make sure you are giving it a like a follow a subscribe and all that good stuff subscribe to the YouTube channel for SJP World Media as well all sorts of live content going on there now and more coming all the time we have chain wrestling on a monday night in the corner looking at modern day wwe on a wednesday evening uh, we have a gaming podcast on the weekend as well looking at all things playstation xbox pc and, and 
the, the modern gaming world. Um, I mean, I, I would like to dive more into details about that, but my days of gaming, I used to load you know my games off a cassette tape, so I don't really know what I'm on about. But these guys doing the show for us, Gameplay Junkies on a Sunday, they do know what they're on about, so it's best you go listen and watch them on a Sunday. All of these live shows also come out in podcast form, so you can pick it up on the audio version via the network and your podcast players as well. And this also includes the volley, which will uh, you know also be featuring our good friend Dan Griffin here with Matt yeah, Willis yeah. and various other hosts as well, looking at this coming season of Premier League European football, uh, covering live games with watch-alongs and so on. So you can sit, watch a game in the comfort of your own home, Join the SJP World Media feed and talk to other football fans and, and the guys doing the live show with the live watch-alongs there. And also, the podcast version will be coming out shortly afterwards. So much going on on SJP World Media, wrestling, TV, and all sorts going on there. But most importantly, you need to follow this show itself. And you can do that by finding it on Facebook and Twitter at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who Pod. More Colin Baker next week then, Dan. It seems like we only covered him the other week. Oh, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It doesn't feel like it's been long at all, but it'll uh, it'll be a coin flip. So we'll see how it goes. Can't wait. There we go. There we go. Interesting stuff. Uh, I've had a good time again, mate. I've had an absolute blast talking this with you. I've enjoyed this episode. Looking forward to next week. And I will speak to you then. Speak to you soon, bud. It's always, and, a, it's always a pleasure. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. I can't believe we are the nexus point on a Venn diagram between Harold Shipman, Mrs. Doyle and Carlos Valderrama. And sex jokes. <laughs> And sex jokes. And sex jokes. And sex jokes. (laughs) Ah, penises. I pressed record and Skype normally goes fucking silly, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah? I pressed record then and your picture has become incredibly clear all of a sudden. That's unfortunate. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you said about using the touchpad. It's all I use, man. I've never had a mouse plugged into this. I've got me. I've got me fancy one that changes colours. Oh, do you know what? I bought a fancy mouse for my computer downstairs. That is smart. I bought one like that. It changes colours and all that sort of stuff. But I plugged yeah. it in, and the computer downstairs. You know, obviously, it's from the Stone Age and powered on coal, isn't it? It. It turned around and went, yeah, you need to like connect to the internet for this to work. And I'm thinking, mm, if I connect to the internet, this is going to melt. Like literally just like a candle, just <laughs> smouldering. You know, the only con- the only thing that says internet connection actually goes to try and make me connect via dial-up if I click on it. Brilliant. So I was like, okay, I can't use that. But I could plug it into this, couldn't I? Didn't even uh, think of that. You can plug a mouse into more than one computer, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Fuck me. I'll see where that is. No, Max feels. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs>